Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Walhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by David Stokes, Coriana Beyer, and Susan Pennegrass from the Show Me Institute. Susan, last week, Show Me Institute launched the Missouri School Rankings Project and MoSchoolRankings.org. Why'd we do that, and how's it going? You know, I've uh, been talking about this for a long time. I do education policy research for a living for the Show Me Institute. I'm constantly on the DESE website trying to find data I need to figure out what's going on with education in the state. I've downloaded every piece of data I can find on their website. I try to look up schools to see how they're doing, and I've complained about it a lot. And uh, basically, the Show Me Institute decided we would take it upon ourselves to t- take the DESE data and build a website that people, anybody, parents, taxpayers, legislators, could easily find a school and easily or a district and find out how that school is performing. So we took the DESE data, we built a website called mostschoolrankings.org, and we um, basically for 10 different indicators like math scores, uh, English language arts scores, ACT scores, graduation rates, We essentially took all the schools in the state and put them in order from the highest performing to the lowest performing. And based on that, every school gets a rank. And in addition, we gave um, for each of these things letter grades, uh, A, B, C, D, F. And uh, the way we did that is on the website, very straightforward, basic grading on a curve. So most schools and districts got, you know, are in the average range or the C range. You have some A's, you have some F's. And um, we just wanted to make it easier for folks to access the education data um, that DESE has. In addition, the website has a glossary. So you can look up these words that you might not know, like proficient or four-year cohort graduation rate or the ACT, you can find out more information. So uh, we also you know, spend some time doing that. You can download the whole data set off the website and you can go to the links where we got the data from DESE. The, the website's got a map-based search. It's got a list-based search. You can zoom in, zoom out. And uh, I think it's easy to use after you get the hang of it, maybe. But we've had lots of folks going there, lots of people talking about how the schools are doing. And that's exactly what we want. We just want to have a conversation about where are the better schools and where are the lower performing schools. And briefly, I'd like to take this time to uh, address some of the FAQs that we've been getting in the first week. So uh, every school gets a GPA. And so can you clarify uh, what that GPA is assigned to? It is not the average student GPA, correct? That's right. So we assigned up to 10 grades to each school. And then based on those 10 grades, we calculated GPA just like you do. So if a school got an A for a grade, they got four points for that. If they got a D, they got one point. So we calculated GPA based on the 10 grades for that school. It has nothing to do with the underlying GPA of the students who attend that school. All over the website, it says this data is from 2018-2019. Uh, why is it a couple years old? And will we update when we get new data? Sure. So uh, when the school shut down in this 1920 school year, they decided not to give tests. Uh, so we have no data from 1920. 2021, they did give the test, and those data will be published according to the Commissioner of Education. They promise that they will meet the the federally required deadline of December 31st. As soon as those data are made available at the district and school level, 
we will begin work to update our website. It's gonna take a little bit of time because there's a lot of information there, but it is our intention to update the website with the latest data as soon as possible. And the grades will be based on the same numbers from the 1819 data. So we'll be able to see how schools compared. Now it's gonna be hard and there's going to be, when these data are released, there's gonna be so many, um, people trying to make the point that we can't use the 2021 data for comparison. Obviously the school shut down. Kids had to come to the school to take the test. So we know that about 10% of kids did not do that. And they're going to not want you to compare the data on the website now to the more recent data, but um, we got to start somewhere. And the longer we take a data vacation, the more trouble we're going to be in. So we will put them side by side and, you know, everyone can listen to the caveats and the cautions about whether they're comparable or not. And lastly, if I'm a parent and I go to moschoolrankings.org and I see that uh, out of 2000 and something at schools, my child's school ranks 2000, not something, what should I do? What should my next step be? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I do want to remind anybody who goes to the website, and this is kind of hard for people who are high achievers in particular, but uh, the average grade is a C and the average GPA is a 2.0. So 2.0 isn't uh, academic probation in college like lots of folks think of it as being. It is just the middle of the pack, which means it's a typical school in Missouri. It's average. It's hitting the state averages across the board. And it's just a, a very average school. So 2.0 is the middle um, GPA. Um, if you find out that your school is below 2.0 and we have this color coding thing where red is the lowest and then orange is next and then above the average, above 2.0, you have light green and dark green is the top. Um, if you do find that out, I would hope that it would start a conversation amongst parents or conversations between parents and their principal or their superintendent or their school board or their um, state legislators. Some states, Florida comes to mind, 20 years ago when they started assigning letter grades to school, and lots of states do that, Missouri just won't. Um, Florida passed a law that a student doesn't have to attend an F school for more than one year or a D school for more than two years. And if you find yourself in that situation, you can transfer to a different school. Initially, it was a private school, but now it's just a public school. So I think as Missourians, we've got to think about how long a child should have to be in a school that's getting F's year after year. That seems like they're on a, you know, they're, it's going to be hard to see, imagine a successful educational outcome if, you, if you're attending a school where the fewer than 20% of the students are proficient in reading or math. So I hope it starts a conversation and I hope it mostly gets our head out of the sand. Desi, has, uh, you know, accredits districts, not schools, and 99% of districts are fully accredited. So it's like they don't accredit at all. They're supposed to do what's referred to in the law, meaningful differentiation. They do not. So right now we have no idea, although we kind of know from standing around on the soccer field, what are the good schools? What are the bad schools? But I hope it starts a conversation and gets our heads out of the sand to say, we have lots of poor performing schools across the state and we need to begin addressing that. All right, everyone, visit moschoolrankings.org. Links all over the place at Show Me on Twitter, on our Facebook, showmeinstitute.org. And uh, any legislators that happen to be listening, uh, Susan Pendergrass holds no intellectual property rights over those fantastic policy ideas that she just mentioned. So feel free to take them in the next session and run with them. Coriana, this week at showmeinstitute.org, you wrote about St. Louis County. Um, 
and they need some money. We've got a bunch of money from COVID stimulus relief. There's going to be some budget shortfalls. What's going on? Uh, Yeah, so St. Louis County has basically said that or requested for their budget $193 million from the American Rescue Plan Act. So $193 million federal dollars to go into their budget. And it said that this additional money will keep them um, from doing budget cuts or needing to find additional sources of revenue um, through 2024. Um, additional sources of revenue is very obviously code for tax increases. So um, until 2024, they would be fine with this additional money. And um, my Show Me Institute colleagues have written a little bit about how to spend this money. I believe that they say they want to spend the money on sort of public health and safety measures, which is one of the approved ways to spend this money. My biggest problem is exactly how you phrase the question, Zach, that they need this money in order to continue on. So basically without this money, they have to either cut millions of dollars or raise millions of dollars in taxes. Um, My colleague Elias Chappellis and I wrote this paper and this is kind of an I told you so moment for us um, because we said local governments and the state government in Missouri, they were not prepared for this economic downturn that came from the COVID-19 pandemic. They have been throwing away taxpayer dollars to subsidies They've been relying on super volatile forms of taxation for decades, and it's now coming to bite them. They can't even keep normal operations going um, after a a slight recession. I will say slight. It only lasted for about a year, and a lot of the pandemic-related costs are temporary. So a slight recession, and now suddenly they can't possibly continue on without hundreds of millions of more dollars and an increase in taxes. What do you mean by volatile forms of revenue? In your paper, as you mentioned, you and Elias Chappelle have a paper, Making Missouri Resilient, up at showmeinstitute.org. Can you explain that a little bit more, what you mean by volatile uh, streams of revenue? Yeah. So income taxes and sales taxes tend to have more volatile streams of revenue, which just mean that year to year, depending on a bunch of circumstances, those revenue streams go up and down. So one year you may have million in sales tax revenue, the next year you may only have 50 million. So if you were to depend on that 100 million or expect it, you would be in a a real bad way if you only got that 50 million. And so um, this article that talked about the 193 million that they need, it says that the county lost revenue mostly from those volatile forms of taxation, sales taxes, motel and hotel taxes, which are um, also sales taxes and casino taxes. So exactly the things that people stopped doing during the pandemic, going to motels and hotels and casinos and going out and spending all of their money. So that's just a more volatile form of taxation. And if you depend on it for all of your spending year after year, you're going to be in really bad shape when suddenly that revenue drops off by 100 million or so. So this seems like a situation, and uh, David and Susan, feel free to jump in here. I uh, presume that you both have kitchen tables. Over the last two years, families across the country have had to get around the kitchen table and make difficult budgeting decisions. People have lost jobs. People have had health care expenses that they weren't expecting. Why should we, I'm just going to use the B word, bailout. Why should we bail out uh, governments that maybe weren't planning for uh, something like this, but families all across the country have had to make difficult budgeting decisions? When we were around the kitchen table, we were mostly just mad that we couldn't go to the casinos and lose a bunch of money. So that was 
So that was our that was our frustration that we had to had to gamble with our children for much much lower financial stakes. Uh, but no, it's it is it is you understand that the county some of this money. A portion of it is additional funds to deal with the the pandemics. You can sort of give a little bit of leeway to any government spending more on that. But it is frustrating to see them sort of, you know, where this pandemic will end at some point. And they're going to have to make, they should make hard cuts at that point. All the, the growth in health departments and others that have expanded, I hope the governments are able to make those cuts when it's done and, and not try to maintain that level of, of spending and you know it's it's definitely for for some place like st louis county which has done some smart things with its sales taxes it's in the sales tax pool with some cities in st louis county but you know to just use these sort of free and i'm doing air quotes there federal funds to just plug gaps when frankly they should have been they shouldn't have become so reliant on casino taxes and and other types of things in in recent years it's very it's very frustrating and and i guess the you know you talk about what taxes are they going to raise in the future and i hope they don't raise i hope they don't raise much in taxes but you know i guess the the best option for the, for the St. Louis County and for certain cities around the state to consider is to go to their voters about a use tax with with St. with the state of Missouri expanding uh, internet sales taxes in the last legislative session. Uh, you know, a lot of places that don't have use taxes need to take that to the voters, and if voters reject them, fine. But I hope before they the county would start raising new sales taxes or higher property taxes or new fees, that uh, that would be the idea put before the voters. Yeah, and I think the one thing that um, Coriana mentioned that should be emphasized is that our local governments give away tax revenue. So if you're going to start giving it away, you're going to give tax breaks to folks building things like the foundry or uh, you know, Lee Landing or Ballpark Village, you're going to give away money in order to get these things. Then when the economy has a downturn, you've given away what you could have been um, what you could have been saving, basically. So I don't think the average citizen realizes how much uh, in tax revenue their government gives away because each of us, we have to pay our property taxes to the city of St. Louis. Like I, they don't give it back to me, but a lot of the developers don't have to pay those same property taxes. And so um, that is such a bad practice that if we just collected the taxes that are due rather than uh, giving these tax breaks out to people who quite frankly don't need them, then we might not be in this situation. Like, like St. Louis County, you know, this, the Show Me Institute has, has said good things about St. Louis County when it comes to TIF many times, but, but they're far from perfect. You know, just earlier this year, they approved a massive a county tax subsidy for a new recording studio out in out in Chesterfield that went along with state tax credits as well. But that was a county tax giveaway there that they should not have done. In in Crestwood, uh, the the Deerberg's development uh, took a TIF that had been passed by the county TIF commission five years ago and just sort of moved forward on on that this year. And that was another one that the county uh, helped helped approve. Now the county has also rejected some as well, and we very much hope that they'll. They'll take this situation, everything Coriana is talking about in her blog posts and writings, and when they have to come to a county TIF commission decision on the Douglas Hill TIF in Webster Groves here in the very near future, that they'll have this in mind and say, let's not give away the more stable property tax base 
uh, and then have to, as is exactly happening here, raise taxes elsewhere. Yeah, and just to wrap this up, like I'm sympathetic to the fact that governments are in a bad position. They've had to do a lot during the pandemic, but you can't sympathize with governments without also sympathizing with the people and everything that people had to go through and the unemployment and everything that we've suffered. And so when the government's answer is to just reach into the pockets of their taxpayers, that's something that I just I don't think should happen. And I, I wouldn't be OK with if you're taking from people who have already been struggling just like you are really shouldn't have to be done. Staying in St. Louis, moving from the county to the city, David, there is a downtown St. Louis Community Improvement District. It expires at the end of the year. There's a lawsuit filed. What's going on? Well, we've discussed this before, and it's a very interesting uh, issue. There's A lot of people have experienced this, Sid. If you're in downtown St. Louis and you see the security there, that's security patrols that are augmenting the police. A lot of people have seen the trash pickup. Uh, groups walking around downtown picking up trash. A lot of that is funded by a special taxing district, the Downtown Community Improvement District, which is primarily funded by property assessments on property owners downtown. Well, it's been going on. It's existed for a long time. It's one of the older SIDS in Missouri. And a lot of the residents of downtown are, are sick of it. They say it's done a terrible job managing the money, uh, dealing with the concerns of the residents. They hire a lot of security to, to augment the police in downtown. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that, except that according to the opponents, the, the security they hire just tends to work like nine to five on weekdays. And they're not there when there's actually the majority of the crimes and problems downtown. So it's just money wasted away. Uh, so the city is up for renewal and the downtown group that runs it has been trying to renew it for a, a fairly long time now. But, you know, they can't have meetings because of the pandemic. It's harder to reach people. Uh, so they they have not gotten the signatures, not to mention the very strong organized opposition to renewing it in the first place. Uh, because it ends so soon, the huge question right now is, will the SID assessments be on the tax bills that the city will be mailing out, frankly, any day now? And so opponents of it were concerned that the city was going to do the bidding of the current SID and put it on this tax bill, even though the SID is set to expire here in a couple of months. And so they've gone to court. Uh, I think they just filed a lawsuit yesterday, perhaps two days ago, to prevent the city from putting those property assessments on the 2021 tax bills, since they are for the 2022 uses of the SID, and that's not the SID has a very strong chance of not existing in 2022. So it's just a very interesting dispute. What so many of these special taxing districts are, whether they're in downtown St. Louis or Kirkwood is voting on a new transportation development district here in early November, and they exist around the state. We've written extensively about them. But what so many of them are is really just an admission that local government has, has failed. Like local government has not succeeded in providing the police services for downtown, has not succeeded in picking up the trash downtown. So then people have to tax themselves for to do to do those very basic services. And it's very, very frustrating. I, there's nothing wrong with groups of people voluntarily engaging to improve their communities. I think that's wonderful. But through SIDS and TDDs and other special taxing districts, it's sort of 
you come together and then you use the power of the government to compel people to participate in this, even if they even if they didn't want to. On top of the earnings taxes, payroll taxes, property taxes, sales taxes, business licenses, uh, commercial surcharges, and many, many, many more taxes that downtown businesses and residents are already paying. So it's good to see people pushing back against the renewal of this SID. If it's not working for the people of, of downtown, the residents and businesses, it shouldn't be renewed. Uh, many of the opponents of it want to renew a different SID in the future, uh, which they think will be more responsive to the residents. But we can have we can have that argument next year because that's that's not connected. Uh, I'd love to see the SID. Uh, I don't think the city should put the tax bill on this current these current property taxes. I think it's, the question is way too up in the air whether it'll be renewed for them to do that. So I hope the lawsuit succeeds that the residents filed. And uh, I'd like to see this SID. If the residents and businesses don't want it, I think it should go away. And that would be that would be good news for downtown. Like you said, this does just seem like an admission of the St. Louis city government that they can't provide basic services, public safety, uh, public safety, the clean team. So picking up trash and I think planting flowers is the other thing that this SID uh, prioritizes. Maybe there, there's other things. But uh, so just to clarify, the SID is managed outside of the government, right? This is a group of residents that gets to determine how this $3 million is used. Well, the SIDs are their own special taxing districts. In this special case, the SID is its own sort of five. It's its own nonprofit organization. It's a quasi-governmental entity. So yeah, it exists on its own, and that's why it's subject to renewal for the property owners of of the area. Often, the best thing you can say about this SID is that unlike many SIDs, which are just owned by the guy who owns a retail store and imposes a sales tax on their own shoppers to fund private uses of that business. At least this one has input from, from the public in it. The residents and business owners, or the property owners, are the ones who approve it and then pay it through property assessments. But it's not, if you've got a very strong number of residents who just think the SID is wasting tax dollars and not succeeding, there's certainly a crime problem downtown. But funding security nine to five on weekdays is not helping to address that crime problem downtown. So it's, it's just not working. So let's do it. Let's get rid of the system that's failing and, and, and let's see how the city can address it. If it has to be done with a new one in the future that would be, perhaps be better organized, well, we can, they can have that debate in the, in the future. But for now, you've got a huge special taxing district that's not succeeding and I don't know why. I certainly understand the property owners who don't want to keep paying this money that's just being wasted. All right, let's move to Webster Grove. So there's a gigantic redevelopment project going on in Webster Grove's Douglas Hill. What's the update? Well, Coriana and I have been following this closely. We just submitted a testimony to the Webster Grove City Council to a major hearing that they they had uh, two nights ago. And we'll be at the TIF hearing, the TIF commission hearing next week, uh, testifying in person. This is a it's a forty it's a thirty five million dollar TIF plus a few million more dollars for a special taxing district for a very large apartment, condo, restaurant, office development in sort of North Central Webster. Uh, it, very concerningly, it, it it as of right now it includes the use of eminent domain. So if the existing businesses there. Uh, 
refuse to sell, and they have every right to not sell their own business, they can be compelled to by the city of Webster Groves to then turn it over to the developers, and that's just awful. So it's so that's sort of the the deal breaker right then and there. But but when they asked for eminent domain, they promised that they wouldn't use it, right? Right. They said in the papers they're quoted as saying, "We need it, but we're we'll, we won't use it." So that's. So that's that's great. I, I don't think anybody would trust them on that. <laughs> so so you have what is interesting about this is there is a lot of opposition in Webster Groves to this to this development, much more so than we usually see. So often these developments sort of fly under the radar till the very end, and then maybe at the end people see what's happening and they come out to oppose it. But this one much more reminds me of the Ellisville dispute of about a decade ago where people in Webster Groves have been before the planning commission, been before the city council. I'm sure they're going to be at the TIF commission, just substantially opposed to this proposal of, for a variety of reasons. The one we're most concerned about at Show Me Institute is the tax subsidy and the eminent domain. Uh, people are angry about those along with a lot of other reasons. Uh, I watched the whole city council meeting uh, two nights ago, and the speakers to it were overwhelmingly opposed to it. Uh, the letters to the editor in the Webster Kirkwood Times, very opposed. Uh, people before the Planning Commission, very opposed. So it will be interesting to see how the Webster Grove City Council reacts and if they take their public process seriously, because the public process has shown substantial opposition to this Douglas Hill development there. And Coriana, projects like this contribute to the problem that we were talking about in St. Louis County, right? This is an example of a city maybe giving away revenue that could be useful if there's an economic downturn. Exactly. So if this TIF were to get approved, it would be, is it 35 million tax dollars that the city or the county would not collect. So that $35 million just would not go into government hands. It would go back to the developers. So right there is a it's a bad <laughs> budgeting practice right there when you are really in need of money and yet at the same time you're giving it away and thanks to the existence of the county tiff commission in st louis county as well as st charles and, and jefferson and and now cass uh st louis county has input on this like st louis county rejected a truly awful tiff proposal in maryland heights uh almost two years ago and they've rejected TIF commissions, TIFs, I'm sorry, they've rejected other TIF proposals previously. This is, this is the opportunity for the county executive and the members of the council and the leadership to say, we're having budget issues, let's say no to this next giant tax giveaway. Exactly, yeah. So we'll hope that that, that happens and hopefully they can see the bigger picture um, besides a, a shiny new building that no one even seems to want. And hopefully they can make a, a smart decision about this one. One day we'll find out why you guys hate progress. But, um, all right, wrapping up. Susan, what are you going to be keeping tabs on next week? We're um, waiting for the next year's test scores and also looking to see what Desi's going to say about some of their IT problems. They've been really caught recently with um, the pension system had a, a security breach. The teacher uh, salary system had a security breach. And um, they've admittedly uh, don't have the IT capacity, the data collection capacity they need. So just going to be watching what Desi says they're going to actually do about it. David. Uh, 
County Councilman, St. Louis County Councilman Tim Fitch proposed, is proposing legislation to move St. Louis County elections to a nonpartisan element so that you would not run as a, a Democrat or a Republican in a county elections. And this is something that's talked about uh, occasionally. Uh, you know, many of the, most of the suburbs, all of the suburbs in St. Louis County and throughout Missouri generally have nonpartisan elections for local offices like that. But I don't, I do not think it's a good idea. I'm pretty familiar with the academic research on this topic. There's a famous study called Teams Without Uniforms about nonpartisan elections, and there's pretty conclusive evidence that all it does is t it doesn't increase anybody's information. It leads to less knowledgeable voters, not more, because it takes away a cue that identifies what most voters want. And it's an easy and simple cue, and it is not replaced, as you might dream of, by people doing more and more research to find out who's who's good. If they don't if they don't have that cue, you think, well, maybe they'll actually research it themselves. Well, they won't. So it leads to less information. So it, I'm looking forward to hearing more about this. And Coriana. Um, so there is some movement in Ladue on um, food truck regulations. So there was a, a proposal that went in front of the city council, uh, which I testified in front of, and they actually decided that the um, proposal was still too strict on food trucks. They want to allow food trucks within their city. So it is going back to the Planning and Zoning Commission to kind of be redrafted. And so we have an opportunity here back at the drawing board to um, – get our voice heard in that. So I'll be um, testifying there and hoping to get some more opportunities for food trucks in Ladue. All right. The education website is moschoolrankings.org. Everyone go check it out. Over at showmeinstitute.org, always a bunch of new stuff, including two upcoming events. On November 10th, we have Douglas Murray coming to St. Louis. And on November 18th, we have Susan Pendergrass, who will be live and in person in St. Louis discussing uh, the Missouri School Rankings Project. And again, moschoolrankings.org. Coriana, David, Susan, thank you very much.